Father God, your love is overwhelming. It's more than we can ask or understand. It's more than we deserve, but God, you love us. You saw us faults and all, sin and all, and you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. To bring us back to relationship with you, to pay the debt that we never could. We thank you for your love, Father. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way you choose to see us. Pray that we would walk in the truth of that. Father God, as we turn to your word this morning, we ask that you would speak and move, that we could see you a little more clearly, that we can love you a little more deeply and follow you a little more closely, so we can share you a little more fully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, as we step into the Word this morning, turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we're going to start in verse 7. I don't think I got this on the screen today, so you're just going to have to wing it with me. Fire up your phones if you need to. You can look at a screen that way. Psalm 19, verse 7, is this beautiful psalm expressing praise and worship. Uh, and One of the things he talks about is Scripture and the things that he's doing there. And David says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. The words of God are worth more than gold. They are sweeter than honey. They are right and good. They bring joy and wisdom and set us on the path to true life. Amen? Amen. God is good and He is here and He is speaking to us. And if we will humble ourselves and listen, we can hear what He has to say. This morning we're going to be continuing our new series that we started a couple of weeks ago and our theme for this year, journeying into the Word. Exploring the power and beauty and authority of Scripture as we seek to understand this mission that God has given us to be and to bring and to see His sacred presence in the world around us as He builds His kingdom, as He shares His salvation, His hope and transformation with the people that He's created. God has a plan and a purpose. And we have to see and understand what He is doing if we want to walk with Him on that journey. Following God can feel like a complicated thing sometimes, or at least we make it that way. It can feel big and overwhelming. Who is God? What is He about? So often, even if we've been a part of the church for a long time, we can feel lost or confused like we don't hear Him, like we don't understand. We're unsure of what God is doing, of who He is. We can feel like we don't see it, we don't get it. And sometimes within that, we can feel like we're the only one. 
Everyone else seems to get it. Everyone else seems to hear from God. Everyone else seems to understand. Why can't I? As I was preparing and preparing for this year, this last summer, looking at this series, the word, the theme that we were going to be doing, I was reminded of the story of the blind men and the elephant. An ancient story that goes to describe the different ways that we experience the world from other people and the ways we try to make sense of it. And within that, the ways we try to make sense of God on our own. And the parable goes like this. In an ancient and distant city, there was a group of blind men and they heard that a strange animal called an elephant was being brought to their town. None of them had ever heard of a thing like this or been near an elephant before and they had no idea what it was like. And so out of curiosity, they said, we must go find this creature and get to know it by touch because that is what we can do. And so they sought it out, and when they found, they each felt around, trying to figure out what this creature was like. And the first person whose hand landed on the trunk said, it feels and it moves like a snake. Another man reached its ear and said, an elephant is like some kind of big fan. The third man felt its leg and said, an elephant is like a pillar or a tree. Another man felt its side and said, it's like a wall. Another who felt its tail said, it's more like a rope. And the last felt its tusk and said, the elephant is sharp and smooth like a spear. And the men set about arguing among themselves, each seeing the elephant in completely different ways, trying to make sense of this confusing creature. And so often we go through life like this, arguing about truth, trying to see God. But there's one more piece when it comes to God. The elephant speaks. God is infinite and eternal. He is mysterious and beyond our understanding, but He has spoken by His Word and by His Spirit, and we are not left flailing in the darkness or simply lost to our imaginations, building a picture of God however we create Him to be. He has spoken. And He is speaking. And we are not left to guess. He has given us His Word. He has given us His Spirit. And He has given us His church that we can walk together, growing in our understanding of Him and in relationship with Him together as He reveals Himself more and more. And so we must be people of the Word, hungry for the Word, shaped and molded by the Word, spending time in His Word, submitted to the Word, letting Him speak and listening to what He has said so we can know our Creator, our Father, our Savior, like He wants us to. So that's what we're trying to do this year. We want to understand the Word. And we're starting by looking at the different pieces, the different ways that God has revealed Himself in His Word. The different pieces of the Bible, the different parts of it and the way they work together. We're looking at the idea of history 
in Scripture, poetry in Scripture. We're looking at the law revealed in Scripture. We're looking at prophecy. We're looking at lament. All different parts of the ways God is painting the picture of His nature and His purpose, of His love and His glory, each revealing different parts of Himself in different ways, all working together to help us see our Father. The different ways we need to approach these parts of Scripture. So we've started this journey with the histories recorded in Scripture, the stories that God has given us about what He has done, what happened. And we started to see last week that these stories that He's given us aren't so much about just specifically what happened as they are about who He is. Who He is revealing Himself to be. God has not given us these stories as a simple textbook or a cold record of events, but to reveal His very nature to us, His purpose and plan and intentions, His love and His desire for relationship with us, His creation, His children. We started last week with the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son Isaac, this crazy story about this impossible thing that God had asked Abraham to do. And to Abraham, he was revealing through this that he was not like the gods of this world. Gods of this world that we had created, that were here, God, they, they demanded sacrifice, blood sacrifice, usually the blood of their children and to please them and appease them and earn their favor. People had to go through these rituals. And in this story, God reveals to Abraham that he is not like that. That it is not us who will provide the sacrifice, it is God. We can't earn his favor, it is he who reaches out to us. He has provided the way to relationship. He he is love, not hate. He is mercy, not cruelty. And He will provide. God is not like the gods we create. And now this week we're going to look at the ten plagues of Egypt. And we will see that not only is God not like the gods of this world, but He is more than all of them too. He is greater. And we can trust Him. We want to understand the history recorded in Scripture, which stories and why God has given them to us, what He is trying to help us see in history. And in the story of the Exodus and the plagues of Egypt, we see God's power and nature and glory and heart for mercy on full display. The ten plagues of Egypt are a wild and strange story. This list of ten horrible events that befall the Egyptians as the Pharaoh resists God's command to let his people go. And again, God is showing us something of who he is, of his nature and purpose and plan and what we need to understand about him. And the story connects all the way back to Abraham, where we talked last week. Connects to his son Isaac and his son Jacob, and the son Joseph and the famine in the land, leading God's people into Egypt for their salvation. 
to protect them, to be saved from starvation. God's people prospering and growing so much that they became a threat to one of the most powerful nations on earth until Pharaoh enslaved them to protect himself and keep them under control. And for 400 years, the Egyptians ruled the Israelites and the gods of Egypt looked more powerful than the God of Abraham. And they suffered and toiled until God reveals himself in this new way. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. This story covers lots of chapters. We're not going to be able to read all of it, but we're going to go through it, and I want you to read it later. Kind of Exodus chapters 6 to 11, but really, the whole book. And really, read this whole thing. There's a lot of good stuff in here. You should check it out. But Exodus chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 28 and read a little bit into chapter 7 here. It says this, Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, He said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. We talked about young people last week. These are some old people here in this story. So seniors, just heads up, God might call you to lead a nation out of slavery or something like that. You're not done yet. God's got lots for all of us to do. But why did God allow this? The Israelites hadn't disobeyed. God brought them there for their salvation. And they were blessed, flourishing, prospering. And Egypt, Egypt along with them. And then a new king comes along who turns his back on Joseph and on God's people, enslaving them. And God allows his people to suffer for hundreds of years. Why? And once again, same as last week, we have to understand God's purposes in giving us this story. These stories, these histories. That God is always doing something else. He doesn't work on our time scale or with our priorities. He is building His kingdom and His glory and His best is our best. Whatever that looks like. And so again, we have a story just like last week that doesn't make sense from our perspective. But God was at work revealing Himself and here He would reveal Himself to the Egyptians and He tells us why all of this happened and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. 
histories are God revealing himself. Not working just for us. His nature. His purpose. Not about stuff that happens. We have to understand what God is saying as he does the things that he does. Because the ten plagues of Egypt that follow this are very weird. Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and ask him to let God's people go. And of course, Pharaoh refuses. And so God, over these next several chapters, unleashes ten plagues against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. But they're weird plagues. It's a strange list. The Nile turns to blood. Why blood? Just because it's gross and creepy? And then frogs come out of it. Why frogs? There's lots of animals living in the river. Why come out of the river at all? That's a strange thing to do. And then, from the dust of the ground, the Bible's very specific here, it becomes lice or gnats, these biting insects, digging insects. They cover the land. And then the next one is flies, bugs. Again, we just did bugs. Why are we doing more bugs? And then, livestock die, and the people then after that are covered in boils and sores, and then there's a terrible hailstorm. Weather all of a sudden is part of this thing. And then locust bugs a third time. And then darkness. And then the death of the firstborn. What is this list? What is this seemingly random way that God is moving? If we look at it as a list, as a simple history textbook, this is a strange list of things for God to do. What is God doing? Turn with me to chapter 7, verse 14. We'll read about the first plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hands over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the waters changed to blood. The fish of the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even to his heart. Then all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. And we begin to see what God is doing. Osiris, 
It was one of the most important gods to the Egyptians. He was the god of fertility, of vegetation, of agriculture. The Nile fed all things in Egypt, all their crops, all their animals. And the Egyptians actually believed as a part of their traditions that the Nile was the bloodstream of Osiris. His blood feeding their land. And so Yahweh took the symbol of Osiris and made it literal blood, poisoning everything Osiris fed. And instead of bringing life, it brought death to all the animals and plants there. And the Egyptian magicians, by sleight of hand or some spiritual power, were able to turn water into blood as well, probably just in a jar or a bowl, but they couldn't change the Nile back. Osiris couldn't change the Nile back. And God begins to reveal himself to the Egyptians. Next came the plague of frogs, and they come flowing out of the Nile, covering the land. A strange curse again, until we see what God is doing. Heket is another Egyptian god, and she was the god of birth and midwives. Strange. Okay, Heket, the god of birth and midwives. Well, she is depicted with the head of a frog. To stop the immense population growth of the Israelites, Pharaoh had ordered all the newborn males to be drowned by the midwives in the Nile, Exodus chapter 1. And now the second plague, these symbols of childbirth and midwifery come literally pouring out of the Nile to curse the Egyptians where the children had been drowned. Yahweh sees the pain of his people and he visits that pain upon the Egyptians. Our God is greater than the gods of Egypt. Next came lice from the ground, from the dust of the ground. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become lice or gnats or it's not clear. And he did, and these biting insects came out and covered everything. Well, Geb was the Egyptian god of the earth, and the Egyptian priests would shave all the hair from their bodies as part of their purity rituals to keep themselves free from lice. And here God smites the earth itself and covers them all in lice, displaying his power over their gods and their priests and their rituals. And it's here for the first time that the priests are not able to replicate this curse. God has sent a message right to these priests. And they themselves see it because in verse 19 of chapter 8, they declare this is the finger of God. God is revealing himself to the Egyptians. Then it's flies. Again, flies and beetles were popular symbols in Egyptian culture. Far from the annoying pests that we see them as today, they represented Egyptian determination and bravery. And there's various Egyptian gods associated with flies and insects, but Kepri was depicted with the head of a fly. And God is greater than Kepri. 
Hathor was the wife of Ra, the greatest god, and was considered to be the mother of the Pharaoh, and she was depicted as a cow giving milk to the Pharaoh, and God brings this plague against livestock, and Hathor is powerless to stop it. And God sent boils and sores and Sekhmet, the goddess of healing, Thoth, the goddess of medicine, Isis and Nephthys, goddesses of health, could not heal their own people from the power of Yahweh. Hail and fire from heaven, the sky goddess Newt and her father Shu, gods of the weather, undone by the power of Yahweh. Locusts, Nepri, Heneb, Renetutet, the gods of the harvest, powerless to save their crops. It's not just punishment. God is speaking to the Egyptians and he would welcome them in if they would submit and obey and follow him. And then darkness. The sun god, Ra, the highest and most powerful god in all Egypt. Chapter 10, verse 21, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that a darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. Fascinating. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. They could feel the darkness, the power of God's presence covering the power of Ra and shining on his own people. The God of the Israelites is systematically dismantling the gods of the Egyptians, displaying his power over them. His control over all things. His presence everywhere. If they would just listen. If they would just obey. If they would just submit. If Pharaoh would just submit. But he would not. Chapter 11 verse 4. So Moses said. This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill and all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be loud wailing in Egypt worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people that follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in Egypt. Chapter 12, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. The last God, Pharaoh, God on earth could not spare his own son. 
God is greater than the gods of the world. He is greater than any person. He is greater than any power we think we have, any nation, any army. Yahweh dismantled the gods of the most powerful nation on earth and showed they were nothing before Him. Just to punish the Egyptians? No. 11 verse 9, so His wonders may be multiplied. God gives us these stories so that we can see who He is and who we are because He knew His people too and He knows our hearts as well. He wasn't just speaking to the Egyptians. He knew that His people, when they were wandering in the desert, that they would long to go back even to be slaves. And so He was trying to show them that these gods were nothing. They had no power before Him, and what you want to go back to is not there. Trust me. Follow me. He is greater than anything that they feared, and He is the same today. History reveals the nature of God, and it helps us to remember, to understand who He is. We are not blindly guessing what He is like. Groping at a trunk or a tusk or a tail, he speaks to us and has told us, is telling us who he is. And stories like this and Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Dagon, the god of the Canaanites, falling to the ground before the Ark of the Covenant tell us of the power and authority of God that He is in absolute control no matter what people build, no matter what religions we create, no matter what civilizations we construct, no matter what is happening to us, God is God over all. And as he dismantled the gods of Egypt, he is God over all the earth today. Over wealth, over pride and selfishness, over celebrity, over governments and nations and corporations, over churches, over us. God is in control. And as he asked of the Egyptians... All we have to do is submit and obey. Let him be God and let him reveal himself. God didn't hate the Egyptians. When God's people were failing and falling away from him, there's a God said, I will just, I'm done with these people. I'm going to pick Egypt. I'm going to go back and they're going to be my people now. And Moses convinces him not to do that. God didn't hate these people. He wanted them to listen to him. Today we celebrate communion, remembering in Jesus the provision of God in the life of Abraham and the power of God over sin and the lies of this world, the sin in our own hearts. God is God over everything, over all of it, and in this symbol of the blood and body of Jesus surrendered for us, we surrender. As God invited them to, we invite Him to rule over our lives as He desired the Egyptians to do. 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These stories are all about Jesus. Every single one points to Jesus, to God's ultimate victory over sin and death. That he is in absolute control. And he is inviting us to walk in relationship with him, submitted to him, humbled before him, and filled with new life. We have these stations set up around the sanctuary here. If you're newer, newer with us, we're going to take a time of communion now. And this is not the table of LFC, this is the table of Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to join with us in this time. What we want to invite you to do in a moment, we're going to play some music and we want to give some space. And Communion is a communal thing. And if you have some work that you need to do in your own heart this morning, you can come as an individual and take those elements to your seat and pray through that. But we invite you to come with friends or family, come together, take the elements together, go back to your seat and pray together and take them as you see fit. We want to recognize the authority of God that he has revealed that consistently through Scripture. And in the lives of the Egyptians, he wasn't just trying to punish them. He was trying to help them see, God by God, person by person, that he was more. And to his own people that he knew when they would walk through hardship, he was more to there. He was enough if they would just trust. Do we trust? Do we believe that God is enough? Do we believe that the blood of Jesus has truly freed us from our sin or are we still trying to earn it? Are we still trying to earn God's favor? We have to believe and know that when he said it was finished, he meant it. And we can walk in newness of life with him. Let's pray together and then we'll walk through this time. Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus poured out for us. We thank you that he was willing to come and be born on earth to show us what a human life was truly meant to be, what relationship with you was truly meant to look like. God, we want to see that. We want to know that. We want to feel that. But God, ultimately, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, that he was willing to lay down his life for ours, that he was willing to pay the price we never could, and that all the gods of the world and death itself are conquered and overcome by your power, God. We thank you and we praise you. We worship you. We bow before you. We lay our lives at your feet and we desire, God, that you would take them, use them, mold them, shape them. We want to be used by you. We want to be like Jesus. We want to see your salvation and we want to bring it into the world. So God, as we walk through this time now, we pray that you would speak, that you would move, that we would see what you have done for us in a new and a deeper way. That we would hunger to know you and share you in Jesus' name.